welcome to Spotlight On, the podcast that brings together business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts covering a range of topics. I'm Nicholas Barton, CEO and founder of the Barton Partnership, a search firm that specializes in strategy, data and analytics, transformation and change, and M&A. Our speaker today, uh, Tim Peake. Um, joined the army at the age of 19, spent two decades uh, becoming a major and a helicopter pilot. He served in Northern Ireland, uh, Kenya, Bosnia and Afghanistan. He then uh, relocated to the US and was based out of Fort Hood where he was a test pilot and Apache cannon operator and then became a trainer. He then applied to ESSA, the European Space Agency, and beat 8,000 people to become one of four individuals that then went on a five-year training uh, course before then spending six months in the $1 billion glorified caravan up in space. Um, not only that, Tim is married with two boys, which in itself can be stress- stressful in its own right, and he'll be talking to us about his experiences and how he developed resilience around that as well. Um, so I'd like to bring into this uh, Tim Peake, please. Thank you very much indeed, Nicholas. Uh, Thank you very much for that uh, introduction. I don't think I've ever heard the ISS described as a glorified caravan before, but you are so right. (laughs) Hit the nail on the head there. It's it's very much like a a camping holiday, really. I can see some questions coming through, and I am going to try and rattle through some of these as much as possible. I do want to start... Uh, myself and just talk about resilience, Tim. And we we touched upon it. Well, you certainly touched upon it as well. And there were some amazing points of reference around that, normalizing the abnormal, having a structure, a routine, a focus in there so that you had no time to dwell on the here and now. Um, But how did you deal with fatigue? How did you deal with those moments where you just thought, you know, it's another day. I've got to do this. I've got to deal with that. I mean, there is a mindset challenge here that needs to be overcome. So how did you center yourself again to get back on point, get focused again? What was your what were your tools in that scenario? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a very good point. And firstly, in terms of fatigue, I think it's really important because we discussed that as a crew. And Scott Kelly, I mentioned my commander when I first got up there. He was a huge advocate of only ever working at 90%. He said, you know, we're, we're up there to work really hard on the space station. We know that. But he said, I don't want anybody going beyond 90% because 10% is, is for when things go wrong. You know, 10% is for when we have an attitude control failure on the space station and, and life becomes very, very serious. And, and it's a case of being able to kind of regulate yourself to understand your levels of fatigue and to understand um, when you're getting to the point that you need to back off a little bit, uh, recharge. Um, and, and I think, again, it's these experiences that we're put through as astronauts, whether it's in a cave, whether it's underwater, whether it's on survival training. It's all about knowing yourself so that you can actually gauge yourself, your stress levels um, and to, to have the ability to say, OK, you know, I, I can sense something not being right here. And uh, whether it's a request, you know, require more sleep, whether my exercise is wrong, my nutrition is wrong, whatever it is, I'm getting that balance back again. Um, so I think it's a whole host of things that enable you to be able to cope a little bit better and do that. Did you ever reach breaking point at any stage? No, never, never reach breaking point. You're certainly you reach levels where you get exceptionally tired and you're nearing, you know, you're nearing that. (laughs) You've probably crept beyond the 90 percent. You're nearing the 100 percent. And yeah, so definitely there were periods where I kind of had to rein myself in. Um, And uh, and again, I think that came from knowing um, knowing myself and knowing that when my performance is starting to drop, when my concentration is not quite there and, and things aren't going well, 
and you start to make a few small mistakes and the you know small mistakes are okay big mistakes are not okay and and again it's all about making mistakes in the right environment i mentioned about making mistakes in the simulator fine that's where we're supposed to fail we're not supposed to fail on the space station um, yeah. that could be catastrophic so um again it was is kind of being able to regulate yourself in that environment and you're a big believer in 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 the in the in the in the view that you can't control what's going on around us, but you can control your mindset. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a really tricky thing to to be able to grasp. And I I, I think it just comes with the, the the ability to go through some of this training and these experiences. When con, when control is removed from you, um, it can be really daunting and it's really uncomfortable. I, m- I remember very early on in the military going on a a, a a resistance to interrogation course, conduct after capture. And it was a week long course and it was thoroughly unpleasant, as you can imagine, it was supposed to be. But you have no control, zero control over what is happening to you for an extended period of time. And in order to survive it, really, I mean, uh, obviously, we're in a training environment, but in order to get through it and, and, and do well on the course, you just have to relinquish um, control and understand that you can't worry about the things you can control. Think about what you can, you know, and try and focus on every element which you can control. Then focus on that. Come up with a plan. Make things better. Make your situation better, uh, and dwell on that. But don't worry about what you can't control. Uh, it's very, it's very easy to say. It's much harder to do, but it's something that we certainly practice. Right. So look, we've got a lot of questions coming through. I'm going to try and rattle through some of these now. I'm conscious of the time, but. Uh, um, does it make you feel uh, uh, small and insignificant um, w- w- when returning to Earth, having been up there for that period of time? I think it, it makes you feel small and insignificant when you're up there looking down on Earth. I mean, uh, when, when that's that spacewalk, I, I don't think I've fully processed um, the, the whole feeling and what you see and that view when you're just floating there, um, you know, drifting into the shadow of Earth and that there's a, a feeling of incredible insignificance looking down on Earth. Just, and you almost feel like an imposter in an environment you shouldn't be in. But in the same way, I think you also feel, well, hang on a second, we are probably the most significant thing uh, because at the moment we don't know of any other complex life within the universe. And we are the universe. We, with The universe has created us. We're stardust. We are the consciousness of the universe. That kind of makes us pretty significant. Um, yeah. So when you come back to Earth, yes, I, there's there's been an, a, an enormous you know achievement in your life that you know you will not be able to live up to probably unless you go back to space again. But I, I've always been one to you know look to the future, look to the next challenge, and also just living the opportunity, living the present. And the present for me is more time with the family, still very much engaged with the space industries, um, and enjoying my time back here on planet Earth. Because there's talk of a second stint for you, isn't there, coming up, potentially? That's right. The space agency would like to fly all of my class twice. So Alex and Luca, my two classmates, have had their second mission. Tomorrow is next. And um, hopefully by 2024, all of us will fly a second mission. And that will be, what, another six months up there? or um, Another six months, although never say never. We are currently on a... Uh, we're currently in starting Artemis missions back to the moon. Um, so Europe is very much involved in them and that will, they will start running from 2023 onwards. Right. So there's, uh, there's still an, a potential for even being involved in a lunar mission. Good luck with that. Um, the thinness of the atmosphere, again, another question here. Having seen it now, how concerned are you about our ability to destroy it? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm hugely concerned about our ability to destroy ourselves. Um, I, I, we, are, we are fragile. We're also going to destroy other species as well. We know that we've got an, you know, a massive extinction event occurring right now on the planet. Um, I think the planet is, is, is incredibly robust. And when you see throughout history um, on, a, a, on a universal timescale, you see what the, the planet has survived. Um, I, I still actually think it probably will survive humans and it will outlive humans and it will it will recover um but i'm I, I think we're as a species we're in great danger of making this planet um not only hostile for ourselves but hostile for many many other forms of life i agree um you talked about resilience and we've talked about resilience and we talked about resilience in your own right how you've developed your mindset from a team point of view you would have seen your teammates, I'm sure, at various times struggle. You know, as a team, how did you work together? What team sessions did you do on the station every day, every week, um, to ensure that you know, as a as a team, you were resilient and avoided fatigue and sort of any sort of negative thought process? What mechanisms did you have in play for that? Yeah, so it's quite strange because you're working up in the space. People think you're crammed together in a tin can for a long period of time, but actually, the day to day work, you're often working by yourself. Um, there are very few times when two astronauts come together on a task. It would happen, you know, every now and again, but most of the time you're working by yourself. So one of the things we do is come together every evening, you know, eat together, have a social environment where we can relax and we can talk about our day. Um, and also the commander is, plays a pivotal role here in being able to uh, analyze the workload of everybody and be able to, being able to share that around. We, when we look at the timeline, it would be very easy to think, these are my tasks for the day. You know, get, get 15 minutes ahead and I've got myself an extra coffee break. But it's not. You know, it's a case of this is the station's tasks for the day. And I might be 15, 20 minutes ahead. My poor crewmate might be struggling with something that's not working and he's half an hour behind. And it's, it's a case of really, you know, gelling together and seeing it, seeing the whole strategy from a team point of view. And, and making sure we all get to the right place at the end of the day. So, you know, nobody would down tools until everybody had finished. It's a bit like the last man or woman across the line if you're in a sporting team, you know. Yeah. You, you, you finish the event once, once the last person has finished. Um, and, and that kind of uh, mentality really helps to bond everybody together and work, work towards a common goal. Um, and also helps to manage fatigue levels. But uh, I can't really stress it, you know, how important the, the role of the commander is in making sure in isolated circumstances like that, that the team remains together and coherent. It's very important. And again, in that environment, I'm sure you would have spotted, you know, those around you perhaps silently struggling, you know, for one reason or another. Um, uh, any suggestions for spotting that aspect? If you if you if you'd noted anyone was you know, struggling in silence, what what would you typically sort of advise or do in that situation? Yes. And I think that's where it's important as well to build up relationships as early as you can, because it's um, it's very hard to be able to do that if you don't actually know somebody very well. And we tended to know each other really well on the space station. We knew our family, each other's families. We knew um, the ages of children, what stages they are at, what problems might arise, where they were going at. Did they have elderly parents? You know, ill health, etc. So, so you can gauge it if you if somebody's just come out their crew quarter on a phone call and they're completely flat. You know, you can engage in a conversation and just say, "Is everything right? How are the kids doing? You know, how's your mum? Uh, the rest of it." You, you've got you've got an ability to go there. And, and really, you know, for us, uh, I happen to be on the space station amongst a whole bunch of, of military personnel 
we're not used to opening up. We're used to being quite closed characters and just keeping it to ourselves and, and cracking on. But of course, that is not the attitude, uh, and you can't be like that. You have to open up, and 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 it's it's important for other people. You know, other people's lives depend on you, and if you're yeah. not on your A game, then you have a responsibility to tell people, look, um, I'm I'm struggling. Uh, you know, this is the situation, and I just need a few things to to make it a bit better. So I think uh, you've got two things there. You've got as an individual, you have to be honest and open. Uh, and as somebody who recognizes a problem in somebody else, you've got to have empathy and an ability to to be able to engage with them and try and work out what it is that's going wrong. Now, you talked about sort of that that normalizing the abnormal. And in your case, that transition from space back to Earth again. Did you employ the techniques that you talked about when you talked about structure, routine and a schedule to get yourself back into a normal life back on earth. Um, and what did you do to shift your thinking in some regard from that point of view? Yeah. Do you know, that was a much harder transition, uh, which is surprising because, you know, going up into space, everything is so organized, you know, all the two weeks of quarantine before you go highly organized launch day, highly organized off into space, six months of highly organized structured activity. You come back to earth. And we're in a very, very dynamic and stressful environment where our schedule is a bit crazy. We've got scientists who are piling in, trying to take, you know, blood samples, MRI scans, bone uh, muscle biopsies, DEXA scans. You've got PR campaign going on that you've got to do these certain interviews. Um, you're traveling to the Houston, to Moscow, to Japan, to Cologne um, under, you know, very difficult circumstances again. Um, and your body is is feeling very weak. You, you've actually got, you know, muscle uh, atrophy. You've got bone atrophy. You need rehab and physiotherapy. Uh, and on addition, in addition to all of that, you're coping with this kind of psychological dip where yeah. you're just feeling flat. You've just come back from mission. So it's like a perfect storm. And, and I actually don't think we perhaps put enough attention into that first two months back from space. Uh, and, and for me, that's where I felt, you know, you really have to dig deep and pick yourself up. But of course, the, the one thing you do have is, is, again, support from family and friends who are there with you rather than yeah. being isolated. And that, that helped me through that. I'm a, a husband and a father again, into a point, because, I mean, not Absolutely. just in space, but during your army career. I mean, you talk about that in your autobiography that's coming out. But that, that, that adjustment as well. How did you find that transition again back to the, that world? Yeah, it's it's very important. And of course, you've been away for a long period of time and you've got to integrate yourself back into a family environment. And and there's a way of doing that. You don't want to come in like a bowling ball, you know, into a family environment and say, that's it. You know, daddy's home all change. It's a very gradual transition. You need to fit back into the family um, and then you need to pick things up where they left off. And and uh, and I think that's what a lot of you know people who travel around the world for their job will be dealing with. Um, and in many respects, I think the constant coming and going is more disruptive than a long period away. And then you've got a period where you can reintegrate back in with the family. Um, but all of these things cause psychological stress um, and they have to be dealt with. And it's all about relationships and good communication skills and, and being able to talk about you know, what stresses are going on in your life. Now, I'm going to, as I said to you before we started, I was always going to ask the last question. Um, and actually, this links into a couple that we've got here as well. But the universe and life out there, uh, you know, from your personal point of view now, and I'm not talking about the microorganisms in water found on Mars, but do you feel that there is other life out there? I mean, what's your view now, having been an astronaut? 
Yeah, I, I definitely do. Uh, and in fact, I, I felt that before I, I went to space, but more so since since going. Um, and you mentioned about the, you know, like, like single celled microorganisms, because it's an interesting thing. I think I think that's everywhere. I think life is prevalent throughout the universe. I do think that that jump from single cell to complex is is much rarer. Uh, we, we are very rare. But I certainly think that there's complex life um, definitely within our own Milky Way, let alone without, you know, all the hundreds of billions of galaxies through the universe. So, no, I'm a, I'm a firm believer it's out there. The question is, the time and distance in the universe is so vast. Mm. Will we ever find other life? And the second thing, I guess, as Stephen Hawking said, is do we actually want to? Right. Yes. And, I mean, your view on the, the sort of the, the missions that they're talking about to Mars, is that, I mean, I, I, do you endorse that? Do you think that's a worthwhile venture for us um, at this stage? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I'm a huge advocate for space exploration. I, I think we're doing two things in, in space. We're, we're reflecting back on planet Earth in terms of science and research and technology for the benefit of people on Earth. But we're also stretching our boundaries. Uh, and as humans, I think we have an innate desire for exploration and finding out what is out there. Um, so I think going to the moon, going on to Mars and going, you know, eventually further and deeper into the solar system is um, part of, of who we are. It's part of what we are. We're explorers. We always have been. Great. Tim, I want to wrap up by saying thank you. you you've been an absolute legend and a gentleman. To that point, um, Tim wasn't going to mention this and hadn't referenced it to me, but I will say that Tim's autobiography, Limitless, is coming out uh, via Cornerstone on the 15th of October, both hardback and Audible, which is brilliant for me because everything I do is via Audible. So, Tim, I, uh, I'm sure that will be a wrong success. I'm definitely going to be uh, one person purchasing that. Thank you for today. Thank you for taking part in this. Um, and thank you to those that have joined us. I think the lessons that you've shared with us around resilience and how to adjust have been phenomenal and um, will serve us well in the coming months. So I'd like to thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank all our guests for being with us as well today on this webinar. And I hope everyone has a good day. Tim, thank you very much indeed. Take care. Thank you very much indeed, Nicholas. It's been great being here. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Barn Partnership Spotlight on podcast. To stay updated with future episodes, subscribe to our channel on the podcast app.